The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Fascinating time in college football. News breaking by the minute. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. You're going to hear me open the show once again in just a little bit. We, Danny, we had just gotten off the call and uh, news breaks from Ross Dellinger. Uh, SEC presidents have adopted a plan to play a 10-game conference-only schedule this fall, sources told Sports Illustrated. The league-approved kickoff date is September 26th. This is one of the later dates that we've heard from the reports about the Big Ten and the ACC so far. Big Ten reportedly eyeing September 5th, the ACC going uh, one week later. Particulars on the schedule, including the two additional games and locations, unclear for now. SEC championship game two weeks later for December 19th. Danny, the uh, this is it. The we you ask later. You said, has the ACC pushed around the SEC? I think the SEC uh, just stepped out of the way, and I guess the <laughs> ACC fell on its face here. Yeah, I think so. I think that answer is a clear no. The ACC is never going to be able to push around the SEC. I do think they wanted to force their hand. But look, the SEC is going to do what they want to do ultimately. I, I wonder what kind of conversations took place, if they even considered, hey, what do we do with these rivalry games? You know, I think there's an interesting dynamic to this too that I think has to be taken into consideration. And this is like a, a nuanced thing to what this, you know, this crazy pandemic that we're dealing with. And I don't think it has anything to do with football-related you know, power and rivalries or anything just from the logistical standpoint of what if we're the SEC and our testing protocols oh, yeah. are different than the ACC? Like what if, you know, what if we're doing more frequent testing and we've had a really clean season and then all of a sudden you want us to play against your team who maybe doesn't have the same standards that we do. And I don't even know what their protocols are. I don't think anybody knows exactly the specifics of how that's going to work. But I do think, like I understand why teams want to keep it in conference because it's a major problem in college football that conferences do their own thing, scheduling, COVID testing, all of it. 
and it's just it's kind of glaringly obvious right now that the ACC and SEC couldn't work out a way to keep those rivalries intact because that's the biggest shame to me. Like you're telling me, you know, teams uh, Florida could cro- you know could travel across state lines, could travel further than a two hour bus ride to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. Like no, but I understand why conference only makes sense. The testing protocol was my initial reaction to when the Big Ten news broke because that was the Big Ten saying we can't trust that these non-conference opponents, and even then uh, through the context of the group of five schools or some of the FCS schools, we don't know that they've got the resources. We don't know that they've got the ability to be able to uh, have the same kind of strict testing protocol. For the SEC to move in this direction seems to me like their university presidents, their athletic directors were very committed to the idea of being conference only from the jump. And now it's created uh, an SEC world where the focus within that same conference, and again, we don't know who the additional opponents are going to be, and we don't know exactly how that's going to play out, whether they're going to keep the divisions or whether they're going to scrap the divisions. Those details are all going to come, and and we will certainly uh, be back with more winners and losers and all the fun trust tree football stuff uh, at the beginning of next week. But I... I really think that this is uh, everyone. It has to be selfish in uh, the decision-making process within the context of the pandemic. And if the ACC had any plans of forcing the SEC's hand with this, this is a, a strong um, a, a strong decision to stick by what you were originally planning to do. Yeah, according to Ross Dellinger, they are going to keep the divisional structure expected to remain the same. Winners of two seven-team divisions playing on December 19th, as you mentioned. League teams will play two more opponents from their uh, opposite division, which, again, you talk about a massive, you know, we, we did it with, we're going to do it with the ACC. Uh, you know, who do you dodge? Who do you get from the, you know, the, uh, the East or the West is going to be fascinating. I do think a lot of it, too, and this is probably one of the things that's good about conference is able to do their own thing because they are regional for the most part. I know there's some outliers in there, but I mean, the SEC is in a different position right now with where their schools are located than schools in the big 10 are, or Oklahoma, like Oklahoma's had a lot of success. They keep getting reports of, you know, zero positives. Sure. And so they're, they're like, let's move forward. Let's go faster and see if we can get ahead of the game. The way the cases haven't, as we sit today, I do think time is probably a wise move to buy yourself to more time, to push it back, to see if things get better. Although when you do that, it doesn't leave much room for error if there is another setback. But I mean, we could see anything. I mean, we could see, I mean, in theory, could we see an SEC championship push back another week? You know, possibly to two weeks, possibly anything and everything should be on the table. And I'm sure it is, but clearly that's why they decided to go back because in Florida, in Georgia, in you know um, some, a lot of the SEC states, the numbers are on the rise. So buying time was the best thing for them to do because they'd be getting crushed right now if they scheduled you know the first week August twenty ninth. Yeah, if they yeah. were trying to get out there and, and put it uh, put it forward, it does seem with this timetable that they are going to be on a little bit more of the one to two bye weeks, right? Uh, if they're going to be starting in late September and if they're going to be going until December 19th, it does seem, you know, with a full 10 game schedule, maybe, maybe about two to three bye weeks, all the specifics there, of course, uh, yet to be determined. I'm prepared as a football fan, 
and as somebody who's going to be here every single week breaking stuff down, I'm I'm prepared to look at this as though we are talking to look at this from a world where we're talking about different leagues. Where we're going to have to jump from from puddle to puddle and from room to room and, and take our audience there. That on August 29th, week zero, we're going to be given locks for Oklahoma, Missouri State, and we'll be sitting almost a month away from the start of the SEC uh, schedule. It will be a this makes for a slow ramp up for college football, which as a college football fan. I think that I'm a little bit excited to slowly work my way up as opposed to maybe the, the, was it normally like a five night bender from like Thursday through Monday night where it's just, you just do nothing but consume football, sit on the couch and eat Cheetos for five days. I, I think that this, this nice, easy going ramp up to football where hopefully it's being played all across the country in a healthy and safety way in October. I think that's something I can get behind. The other advantage the SEC will have is watching those conferences that do kick off earlier. Sure. What hiccups do they have? What adjustments do they have to make? We can take a look and see how it plays out, and then we can adjust accordingly if that does unfold. A couple things I, I thought about instantly when I saw a December 9th championship game. I mean, I, I, we, I, I don't know if you guys have discussed it much, but bowls seem like – I mean, that's typically December 19th is kind of that first bowl game. Yep. I mean, I'm under the assumption that bowls are kind of just fault. That's the last of anybody's concern. They probably should be, especially a December 19th bowl that's out there. Uh, when you look at that, the other thing that these conference only schedules are going to lead to is what's supposed to make college football. Great. It's chaos. It's the confusion. Like if we already have, you know, the, my conference is better than your conference. And we, you know, we can, and you can use two or three games and say, well, you know, this team blew out your team, so that, and then that team lost to this. Like, you know how, you know how the the transitional properties go, the the, the values of the wins sure. trans. So imagine without that, like the our conference is better than yours because this happened is going to be off the charts this year, and it's going to be really tough because there is the, the SEC probably is going to pound on themselves a little bit more. Is there more of a push for them to get more teams in the college football playoff than they already do? And for the Big Ten as well. And it's it's just going to make for a really tough time for the committee to decide, all right, who are these final four teams going to be? I still hope there's eight, but we'll see if that happens. So some of the only sports that we've had in the last little bit has been European soccer. And CBS Sports has recently uh, announced we've got the rights to the Champions League and the Europa League. I'm, it, so I, it's on the mind, but that's kind of what we've got right here, right? I, all right, uh, over here, you know, we'll say that uh, the SEC is the English Premier League, and your top X teams, you'll get to the Champions League, and the ACC is your Serie A, and it's like we'll let all these different conferences sort of scrap it out amongst each other. It's like it's like all right, now now give us your best squad, and then we'll we'll throw them all together. In terms of your your point about the bowls. It's tough because so much of that is based on tourism. And I mean, what's tourism going to look like even in December? It's But not for ESPN, who largely owns the bowl season. Ooh. For them, they don't care about tourism. They care about inventory. That's where I kind of wonder maybe they will figure out a way. Again, so much has to unfold. How does the season even play out? Do we even get to that position? But I, I don't, I, my assumption is they'll be thrown by the wayside, but knowing how much value they bring – to ESPN, I, I think they might find a way to try to see what's happening and try to see if they can pull those off uh, at the end of the season. Do you think now, I 
You guys already ragged on me the first episode I was on because I'm going to push for the 18 playoff. You know, do you think, because it would make a lot of sense to do it this year when you're going to have this completely different schedule, when you don't even have a lot of the criteria that the college football playoff is supposed to use for judging when you don't have some of those availables, uh, available to you. Is it, and when you're possibly losing out on a ton of money for bowls that could be canceled, it just seems like the perfect opportunity to go to eight. And, you know, you could have two or three teams from the SEC potentially or two Big Ten teams, have eight, have the five conference champs. And now you don't really have to pay attention to the group of five even because they've already kind of felt like you had to throw them a bone. You don't even have to worry about them in this season. I would rather see the original model that Mike Slive and John Swafford introduced which was the true plus one which is we get them to those the new year six we play the new year six and then after the new year six the college football playoff selection committee announces their top two almost like bcs style so i don't i don't want to add in the full quarterfinals semifinals championship i mean we'll be so exhausted again if we get to that point that it's like, let's let that full, you know, let's let the Cotton Bowl have its moment, the Sugar Bowl have its moment. Let's let uh, 12 teams be out there playing in the New Year's Six, and that's your opportunity, playing against a team from a non another conference uh, in a big-time event, and the two teams that stand out are the ones that end up playing for the national championship 10 days later. Yeah, and the one pushback to expansion having a quarterfinal semifinals, the coaches already – are going to say our season is way more physically taxing on our players. We're not getting a cupcake week. We're not getting a couple pushover opponents. We're going against the big boys every single week. We can't we can't afford to do that and put our players in type of that physical stress on their body. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, now we'll start the show as we originally started it. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson running for a while here on a Thursday afternoon. And we've had, you know, scheduled question marks in our heads. But thanks to the Atlantic Coast Conference, we have actual matchups. They don't have dates yet. They don't have times yet. But 10 ACC games and it is not just the regular 14 ACC teams. No, perhaps the biggest headline out of this is that for this year, for one time only, Notre Dame will be an ACC conference member. Uh, just like the other 14 schools, it will be playing 10 conference games. Lots to get to here in terms of you know what we think about the format, how we think the draw ended up uh, breaking out for all the different teams, and also you know if if we have SEC news that breaks during this, we'll be sure to address it. The Big Ten is also springing some leaks in terms of the details of uh, how its conference-only schedule may go. And of note, while there are ten conference games, the ACC has left open an 11th game that can be a non-conference game, but it must be held within the same state of each of the respective schools. Uh, so Barton, I'm going to throw to you first. 
do you want to take this from the the Notre Dame angle or uh, just sort of what you see from you know five home games, five away games? A lot of it kind of regionally based. So, for example, the like NC State and Duke normally play only once every six to twelve years, and now they're actually going to get to play here. So there's there's some regional rivalries that get resumed here. What's what's sort of some of the things that stand out to you about uh, the ACC's announcement? Well, I, I think the like as people have initially attacked the like we haven't seen the schedules yet we haven't seen the dates um, but we've seen home and away the the way it's broken up we've seen the opponents and like the very initial reaction from the media members of the college football media sort of like all right so who has the good draw who has the bad draw and I've and right off the jump you saw people saying things like oh well it's like oh my good they got. Notre Dame at home, and then they're oh, but they like the road schedules is, is very manageable, and I, and and I'm just sitting here thinking like, for the first like, it didn't even really matter to me to to differentiate home and away because it feels like we're probably looking at a situation where people are playing in half filled stadiums at best, if that, if that, if that yeah. and, and, and so as I look at this these schedules in terms of winners and losers. The, I, I, I differentiate, basically I had four buckets, like the teams that play neither Notre Dame nor Clemson, <laughs> the teams that play both Notre Dame and Clemson, and the teams that play only Clemson, and the teams that play only Notre Dame. And NC State is the only one that misses them both. And FSU, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Syracuse, Wake play them both. And then you got Miami, UVA, Virginia Tech playing Clemson, Duke, Louisville, UNC playing Notre Dame. Because... Ultimately, it's still it, – it's great that Clemson now has another – I mean, they're going to play Notre Dame anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But Clemson has competition at the top of the, the conference. But aside from that, no one really knows who's going to be the tough game between the rest of the, the, the ACC. They're all just sort of right there together. But our spring and, gleaning series did pick some some preferences, you know, and when we dive into our, uh, when we start, count them up, and we break into it, you know, we will have some preferences on how these teams stack up against each other from from a power ratings perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's all, but we're all guessing. Like, we're yeah, still blindly sure. guessing. Yeah. And, and, and as someone that played almost every game of his college football career in half to to almost uh, unfilled stadiums, I can tell you at no point in my career was I like, oh man, we got to go on the road for that one. Or, oh, thank goodness <laughs> they're coming to our place. Like, it doesn't matter. There's going to be 15,000 people in the stadium anyways. There is no noise factor except for the last game of the season for us. And so this, like the home and away breakup is 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 irrelevant to me. I'm just interested in you know, which team's going to be ready and, and, and who's getting ND, who's getting Clemson. I think you bring up a good point. Go Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to follow something Barton just said, because it made me think about, you know, from a player's perspective. And I think you use this in broadcasting all the time or making predictions when you're talking about a noon game. And if, you know, Clemson's traveling somewhere to play on the road and you're like, well, they got to watch out for the upset because it's going to be a sleepy noon game. These games are all going to be sleepy. And, you know, I don't, I think Clemson's going to be fine. But I do wonder if there's a competitive advantage in there somewhere for a team that is kind of used to playing in those sleepy environments that has yeah. to generate that excitement from within. And that I think it's a real you know factor that could play uh, the season. 
I was just going to say, is there an argument to be made now that with Notre Dame joining the ACC and playing a full 10-game ACC schedule, can you say that Notre Dame's schedule got easier in the process than what it had originally been scheduled to be? Because, I mean, they're getting rid of USC. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And there was the Arkansas game, which I'm not really, I I don't think that that's pretty much just swapping with another ACC team. But I feel like Notre Dame's getting the benefit of not having to play because they were already playing Clemson. So you're getting Notre, you're getting USC out, you're getting Wisconsin out and you're replacing them with like Boston College and Wake Forest. Yes. Yeah. No, Notre Dame's schedule got easier. The, The question, I do not believe that Notre Dame will be so, um, happy with this one-year relationship that it's going to move anything closer towards full-time membership. Notre Dame still values its independence. It really likes the Navy series. It really likes playing Michigan. It really values the USC series. But if Notre Dame wins the ACC championship in its one year and then just gets to like be there in Charlotte, shake John Swafford's hand and then drop the mic and get out of there, are they going to be a little bit tempted to at least taste the forbidden fruit once again, maybe down the line? I no. think that's so Notre Dame to be, to, if they were to go to the ACC in this one year, win a championship, <laughs> hang an ACC banner in the stadium, <laughs> And then go back to Independence. That is that is the most Notre Dame thing ever. Yeah, just like, throw, up, throw up the deuces. Peace out. We're yeah. out. <laughs> we got yeah. our title. I feel like Notre Dame's response would be like, "This this was the big deal with yeah. <laughs> winning right. a conference title in an empty stadium. This is what everybody's super excited about and really important." No, we're good. We'll, we'll go back to playing our California game every year and, and our Navy game, and we'll we'll be fine with our own TV money. Yeah, no- I would. Can I defend the ACC just for a second? Because I, I did suppose. see all. That. It's not too early. I'm going to go ahead and take the ACC home a roll chip. I'm going to steal right. it from you. <laughs> I think. I think historically too. I mean, it depends. It's because I think the one thing about the ACC, a lot of times you don't know who's going to be good. And, you know, you could see a team like, you know, a North Carolina get good. What if Miami's better? And conversely, with uh, some of Notre Dame's historical opponents, I mean, Navy was garbage for a while. You know, Stanford's had down years. USC hasn't exactly been the juggernaut the past few years. So I think it, it all depends. Like it might work out and Notre Dame just steamrolls their way through the ACC. And then everybody's like, yeah, that's probably right. But there's also a chance that they could be faced with some challenges that nobody saw coming and could face a, uh, a significant challenge. And what if USC goes in the tank this year? You know, like it all depends. It's easy to kind of take a shot at the ACC now, but I think it depends on how the season plays out. I actually think it sets up. I think that's a great point. I think it sets up perfectly for Notre Dame to go in there, play in the ACC championship game, maybe win the ACC. Uh, who knows? And then, like I said, ride off into the sunset as an independent and then sit back and watch North Carolina cycle up, Florida State cycle up with Mike Norvell. Uh, you know, all these teams could be on the verge of getting good. I mean, Justin Fuente, you've talked about that before, Virginia Tech. Like, it seems like he's maybe found his footing a little bit. Like, this could be maybe the last year where the ACC does have a, sort of a, 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 a Clemson tier and everybody else. And it's certainly not a given that everyone gets better. But there are some positive indicators for what's to come in the ACC relative to what we've seen the last couple of years. Can so I ask he, you guys? No, sorry, go ahead, Don, I keep definitely. Go ahead. Uh, people are already thrilled to have me on this podcast. Now I'm interrupting <laughs> you every single time. I promise I'll stop interrupting Tom. I promise. I have a question I want to pose to you guys because I want the I want Notre Dame to join the ACC full time. Like I've been pounding the table for this for a few years. I think it it benefits both parties. Is there like? 
clearly if they run like that would be a, such a Notre Dame move to run the you know go through win the ACC and and then bounce out go back to their ways. Is there a scenario that could play out? Like I was thinking about this. Like if let's say they lost to Clemson and then they got a rematch with Clemson an ACC championship game. And then that that got them into the playoff, right? Because they were able to avenge that loss and they were an ACC champion. But see, I don't know if the loss to Clemson would matter because they probably could have done that anyway as an independent. Like, is there is there a scenario that unfolds that it looks, okay, this is really attractive for us that we want to stay? And I don't, I don't know if it's a loss to Clemson and then a rematch. I think it might be a loss to, you know, a Florida State and then – you know, beating Clemson twice or some scenario. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm trying to think of a scenario that makes it attractive for them to want to join. Yeah, I don't. I don't think unless the playoff goes to a rule where you have to be a conference champion or whatever to get in. I don't think the playoff is ever going to be like getting a playoff berth after winning the ACC. I don't think will be enough for Notre Dame simply because we've seen Notre Dame make the playoff as an independent already, and we saw it reach the BCS title game as an independent. I think that really to be you know to be as blunt about it as possible. The only way Notre Dame's ever going to consider joining any conference is if it's better for it financially, both in the present and in the long run. So, like, if NBC says to Notre Dame, eh, we don't feel like giving you your own TV deal anymore, and then they become independent and ESPN or nobody else is willing to throw the money at their foot because maybe they're not as enticing a property anymore, I think that's the only point where they would consider joining a conference. And frankly, I, I just don't see that being the case anytime soon. And even not just with the money, Notre Dame just kind of really appreciates its independence and its ability to do what it wants because it does schedule, you know, with USC and Stanford, that means it's playing at least one game in California every single year. It's It cherishes its relationship with Navy, and then it likes to just be able to pick and choose its other non-conference spot, whether that's a Michigan game or if it's playing a neutral site game in Texas or somewhere in the Southeast, because for Notre Dame, recruiting nationally is so important to what they do, and they want to keep playing across the country, and if they were to join the ACC, same reason they never wanted to join the Big Ten, it would severely hinder their ability to do that kind of stuff, and it would probably hurt their financial viability in the long run. So Notre Dame was uh, more agreeable because the Pac-12 announced it was going to go conference only, and the Big Ten announced it was going to be co- go conference only. So like the first strike here was Notre Dame losing USC, Stanford, Wisconsin. So, you know, you're going to be more likely to say, all right, ACC, we will come do this this one-year scenario with you. I like the 10-game conference schedule. Tom, I know you've written yes. about the 10-game conference schedule. If this season as a, is a test run for these leagues and they find it attractive to pursue more conference games, to me, that's the path for Notre Dame to go full member ACC is when they just aren't able to fill out the schedule anymore. Like if if the Big Ten and if the Pac-12 decide they're going to go 10-game conference schedule, then it is less likely that they're going to be able to get all of the games that they would want to get. And so at that point, and you're Notre Dame, it's hard to fill out your schedule. You might as well take this. I mean, they've got the five games at a minimum that they get from the ACC already. It was going to be six this year. If all of a sudden these other power conferences decide that keeping everything in-house and going conference-heavy during the season, which is something I'm interested in and something I'd be uh, curious to see if it catches on, I think that is the the real path, financially, for sure. Like, if, if all of a sudden the 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 big TV money people decide that, you know, they aren't worth as much because of their Q score rating or whatever, then, like, yeah, I could see them joining the ACC, but it could be a scheduling thing as well, 
if uh, if they're having trouble filling out with all the uh, regular rivalries that they want. I, I think that's an excellent point, but at the same time, I'm not sure if it would really make it all that much more difficult for Notre Dame to fill out its schedule. Because, like in when you, you, what I wrote last week about you know how I like the 10 game conference schedule as not just for this year, I like it as a thing that they could do permanently. My 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 uh, blueprint was basically you would play a 10 game conference schedule, and then each school would get the two non conference games. And if you wanted to do uniformly, you could do one Power Five and one G five opponent. Well, since Notre Dame would just be able to pick 12 games of its own, it would pretty much it wouldn't have that hard of a time just picking and choosing the 12 teams it wanted to play because I'm pretty sure there would be plenty of teams interested in playing Notre Dame and even if they kept the agreement with the ACC where the ACC is still filling six games of it as it's for non-conference games because that the agreement does benefit the ACC as well. So I think at that point now they've got to fill six games, and USC and Stanford aren't going to want to go anywhere. They they cherish that rivalry in that game just as much as Notre Dame does. So now you got Navy. So now you're at nine. So basically, you're looking at Notre Dame needing to schedule three games a year, and I think Notre Dame wouldn't have much difficulty scheduling three games a year. Did y'all? So, oh, go ahead. Well, with the ten game conference schedule, so you've explored this, Tom. Mm-hmm. So a couple things. One, would it be that? easy for them to schedule teams because if you've got to fill your schedule if, if you if you have two spots available um that that aren't automatically filled in conference like you're you're gonna at least take at least one of those is going to be a, a gimme game that you're just going to try to get healthy with uh and and so then i guess like you're assuming the other one is going to be someone they're going to be willing to test themselves with notre dame i just don't know how compelling that is i guess it is from a you know national exposure visibility monetarily whatever but like the 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 10 game schedule the part of the reason it seems like to me that some coaches are are reluctant to move towards it or or athletic departments are reluctant to move towards it is is just the idea of look that's a grind to play that many quality opponents all season long i mean it seems like the sec really likes the opportunity to get those like two FCS games a year in to just get healthy, get right. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it feels like a 10-game schedule further separates group of, uh, Power 5 and Group of 5, further uh, creates that division of like two, you know, Division 1, Division 1 AA, Division 1 AAA, like basically in terms of like the FCS-FBS breakup. And I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, it doesn't seem like in my mind teams are going to be clawing to go get another big-time team on their schedule. I will say, I, I think the greatest argument against a 10-game conference schedule is the health of the players because that is mm-hmm. a more difficult schedule for them to be playing that many you know, top opponents for 10 weeks a year. But if, if So if you want to use that argument, fine. It's just if you're using it as like a playoff, you know, like we don't want to have the, the losses, I think that's just cowardly, honestly. Yeah, I'm with that for sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think in a 10-game schedule, I think it's pretty clear, and I think Barton hit on it too, I think the big winners are college football fans. Like, imagine yes. the schedules. You would not have to sit through those FCS, you know, cupcake mm-hmm. components that everybody schedules throughout the country. We'd get compelling matchups every single – there would never be a weekend where you'd be like, eh, I don't know what I'm going to watch this week. It's kind of not a good slate. you get a good slate every single time. But I do think the group of five – which the group of five is really at a, at a crossroads right now because it's been made clear they're not going to make the playoff – like, what do you do then? And if that's the direction it goes, maybe it's better. And group of fives would hate this because it means less money. But maybe you do go to sort of your own championship and your own division of sorts. 
if this is the direction that college football is headed because it would not behoove them to keep, you know, to, to stick around for that because it wouldn't do them any good. I don't know why the group of five resists having their own playoffs. Like recruiting because because they're admitting they're lesser than if they do. That's really the crux of the whole thing. I I, uh, I did an interview for 24-7 Sports with uh, Billy Napier very early in the uh, in the quarantine. And I asked him, like, what, what do you think, you know, the group of five should do for postseason? Like, should they be allowed in the playoffs? Should should you know what? What should how should the postseason look? Basically, um, and he said he thinks there should be a group of five playoffs. Or I don't know if he said he thinks there should be, but he said that that'd be something I'd be interested in exploring. And 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 as part of that answer, he was like, like I've because look, he's coached at Clemson, he's coached at Alabama, he's coached at these big time programs, and he sort of threw in there, you know, I've been in in those games. That's a I know that's a different world. Um, I think like the reality of what it takes on your roster to compete in those sort of games was evident to him in a way maybe it's not evident to whoever's you know running things at UCF. Uh, and I, I get, it made total sense to me to just scrap all this. I don't know, I'm getting on a playoff tangent. Maybe we didn't need to go here. But like the group of five is very obviously on a different tier than the power five anyways. Just embrace it. Everyone's going to watch it. Everyone mm-hmm. still wants football to watch. You know, I'd, let's get still get some non-conference games where you play the Power Fives, um, but like just dive into the playoffs, and, and I guarantee you, people are going to watch the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. Don't you think though? There's like there's pro- and UCF is definitely one of the programs. Well, UCF, Houston, Boise, like the teams, Northern Illinois, maybe those are the teams that may want to try to make that case, but. In reality, they really want to be a part of a Power Five. You know, like yeah. that's what they would love. So it's almost like if you could figure out a way to take the best of the group of five, put them in the Power Five, then almost everybody in the group of five would be okay with it. Be like, fine, you know? Promotion yeah. and relegation, basically, is what you're suggesting. <laughs> yeah, like That'd top four up and then bottom four down. If if you think <laughs> if you think college football fans have a hard time adapting to change now. Imagine Ooh. if we put in a promotion and relegation <laughs> thing, and you've got to explain to like the Arkansas fan, "Sorry, guys, you're in the Sun Belt now." <laughs> That's uh, we would just reestablish like the Southwest Conference. We would reestablish the Metro Conference, like where some of these Power Five schools came from, and those can be the new middle conferences that everybody moves up and down from. Uh, what do you think about the? So we've got ten games, and then there's this eleventh question mark. Um, the Number one, the feasibility of the schedule is going to start a week later than it was uh, originally planned to. We don't have the dates, and they are building in an extra off week. So the the ACC championship has definitely been pushed back at least a week, and we have also pushed the season back a week. Uh, so they're going to try to leave some flexibility, it seems, in case games get canceled, in case games need to be rescheduled. But it's still, man, that is what... 14 weeks for 11 games. It's a pretty crowded schedule. And, you know, we mentioned the the SEC's leadership has been meeting this week. Some reporting indicates that we might not get an official announcement on their scheduling model until next week. But the timing was interesting because uh, Ross Dellinger reports that the SEC is zeroing in on a 10-game conference-only schedule about the same time as the ACC rolls out its full 10 plus one model with a bunch of question marks at the very end of the schedule on their little graphic. I, 
you cannot look at the timing of this and think that there is not a, a little bit of um, lack. I mean, both coordination or at least, uh, you know, in, an idea for timing and a lack of coordination there. Does is that do you make anything out of some of the palace intrigue aspects of this? I've got some thoughts on it. I want to share later, but the, the whole sec ACC, are we going to keep Florida, Florida state, Georgia, Georgia tech, Clemson, South Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky. And if, if they're not going to be kept, who's going to be the one to back out of it? Like that's, that's been a, definitely like a, a bubbling part of uh, this conversation. Uh, what do y'all make of that? So you wouldn't put it past them. So like what you're saying is the ACC wanted to get this out with the plus one. So that way, if those games don't happen, they could be like, we wanted to do it. The SEC backed up. Yeah, because it's a very specific thing. It was like, and for mm -hmm. your one non-conference game, you just can't leave the state. Like we're going to let you leave the state. Like we're going to let North Carolina go to Florida. But if North Carolina wants to schedule uh, a non-conference game, it's got to be against an app state in Tom's beloved ECU pirates or, uh, or somebody else. Yeah. I think there's some validity to that simply because, you know, like I, I can't remember where the report came from, but there was the report that like a lot of ACC ADs were caught off guard by the fact that the schedule was released the other day. Like they didn't realize that it was coming out. So it feels like it was rushed and I don't know why it was rushed, but yeah, maybe that is a reason why it was rushed. Is this the first time that the ACC has pushed around the SEC? <laughs> it feels like no, but this I do. Th- I'm with a chip. I think it was rushed to the forefront. I believe those reports, Tom, that said that most people were caught off guard. Most programs were like, "Hey, we didn't know this decision was coming down." Now, it just it seems way too coincidental that the whispers, the rumors start to percolate that the SEC is going to go ten, and I think it was the perfect opportunity for the ACC to jump out in front and say, wait, wait, we, we're going to do this. You guys have to make the tougher call about chan- uh, canceling the, the rivalry games. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I, in my, like, I wish it was from a standpoint of they believe in the rivalries, but I think it's, I think it's more of the, the alternate, you know, scenario, which is we'll put it out there. So we look better. Now they've got to make the tough call. Isn't there, is, is Am I naive to think that they just genuinely are just trying to cover their ass on a from a health standpoint? Like, let's just keep it in state. Like, we don't like limit travel. This whole game plan is but, to try to limit travel. Yeah, but if you're going to send them to Indiana to go play Notre yeah. Dame, you're and if you're going to send Indiana. them, yeah, if you're going to send them up and down, if you're going to send them to the state of Florida, like, I mean, if you're going to send like, them to the state of South Carolina, we, we got red zones all over the map. Like, you can't <laughs> you can't be sending these teams to five games out of state to red zones and then uh, all of a sudden for this one 11th game be like, okay, but that one, that one – you have to remain in state for. We don't. We don't know what them non-conference types have been up to. We can We don't want you going out of state. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I think. I look. It, it's. Um, it, basically, the ACC can can sit there and say, "We weren't scared. You guys were scared." And like, I guess that's a nice. That's a nice perch to be sitting in. Yeah. Chip, what else you got on it? I. Oh, I mean, I just. I. I am so torn because 
half of me enjoys the last like five, 10 minutes of conversation and laughing about it and thinking about all these big wigs trying to puff their chests out and beat each other with press releases. And then the other half of me is like, why do we have palace intrigue in the middle of a pandemic? Like, like why are we so excited about the different ways that people are making power plays on each other? This is not an episode of Billions. Shout out to Showtime, CBS fam. Like, this is not an episode of your other favorite, uh, you know, uh, high profile type show. Like, the, the drama of that, at, when we are talking again about trying to keep the health and safety of college football players that want to play, like players that really, really want to play as much college football as possible, the idea that we are loving the white collar drama of schedule releases is just, I don't know. Like again, half of me loves the last five to 10 minutes of our conversation. And then the other half of me is like, dude, why, why, why do we care so much about this right now? 90% of me is wondering if we'll even get to see these schedules happen. So, yeah. yeah, I know uh, that 10% is really pulling hard, but man, it's just, you keep looking at these setbacks and it's the tough. 10- the 10% taking its time beating the crap out of the 90% telling it to shut up. I just want to pretend it's going to happen no matter what. Exactly. I've got a buddy who calls it the trust tree. We just come into the trust tree where we imagine all the games are going to happen. All right. It's, yeah, just, love it. it's just a little, the little bubble fantasy. So speaking of the bubble fantasy, have, have we looked at the uh, everyone's draw enough to, to maybe pick some, pick some teams that are going to end up uh, coming out on top because it's, I love no divisions. Love no divisions. I, like if the ACC comes out of this and decides they want to embrace, uh, get rid of the coastal fast pass, you know, get get rid of uh, everyone in the Atlantic complaining about how they've got to deal with Clemson and Florida State. If we go no divisions in, in the ACC, I would support that. Um, do we do we have some predictions on who ends up being the the teams at the top? Right. You mean that aren't Clemson? Like, I don't think it's like, do we even have well, right, to do that one do you, for do you anybody? Think, do you think Clemson goes 10 or no? No questions? I don't. No. I don't think they do. I think, and I think that what Danny said earlier about, um, like, there's just going to be, like, playing a Clemson schedule, being a Clemson football player, and, and experiencing a season as the number one ranked Clemson Tigers, I'm sure is exhilarating like every week you're rolling into town and and like people are like banging on the bus and you know you're you come into these packed stadiums and everyone you got a target on your back every week and your home games are just insane and all that's gone all of that is gone and now you're going into these empty stadiums and every week you're playing Vanderbilt 11 a.m. on Jefferson Pilot in a rainy day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like every day. Yeah. And so I, th- I think that that's, I don't think Clemson, I don't have any less confidence in Clemson from uh, just how good they are standpoint. I just think a college kid uh, faced with that task, it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Now, maybe I'm overthinking this, um, but it's not as if Clemson, even in our, in, in just a typical season, hadn't shown the affinity to like show up and, and, and lay an egg. So I just think, that they get clipped somewhere. Um, I, I, I don't know, to answer your initial question, I don't know that I've got like a different feel or like a some newfound uh, belief in terms of like how the schedule shakes out for and who, who's, who's going to win, who's not. I, I think Notre Dame and Clemson are the best two teams in the division. 
or the conference. I think Notre Dame and Clemson will have the best record at the end of the year. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that both those teams go undefeated, though. Yeah, and it's like we know who's playing who and where they're playing, but another thing that we don't know that kind of factors in is when. Like, are the, if, is Clemson going to have to play Notre Dame and Virginia Tech on the road in back-to-back weeks? Because that would obviously have a huge impact. I will say, you know, I know that, Chip, with, with your Carolina Blue and Barton, you guys have been somewhat North Carolina wonks during this offseason. I think that, you know, it did work out well. This schedule works out well for the Tar Heels in that, while Barton, as you were talking earlier about the home field advantage not being the same in a mostly empty stadium, while we only have like soccer to go off of, European soccer has shown that while it's not as strong as it was, there is still something of a home field advantage, even without fans in the stands. So if you're North Carolina, the fact that you're not having to play Clemson and you're getting Notre Dame, but they have to come to Chapel Hill, I think the schedule works out to maybe, you know, when North Carolina was already kind of a dark horse pick. And now I think the schedule could help them even a little further, at least trying to grab that third place spot, because I do agree with you. I think it's Clemson and Notre Dame at the top. So that's interesting, though, the that there is a still somewhat of a home field advantage yeah. that we're uh, witnessing in soccer. Is it do you know how um, diminished it is relative to a typical year, and I wonder what I wonder what's behind that. Um, just routine. I think travel. it's just the routine, being comfortable where you are, the not having to travel to the game. Although all teams are staying. I don't know. Actually, will teams be staying in hotels before game days this year? Probably depends on how far. Yeah, you know, if it's, it's drivable, yeah. I would assume they're going to try to drive day of. Yeah. Probably so has something I, to do with that. I think it's just the routine and being familiar with the surroundings still. But yeah, it's shown it's not nearly what it had been whereas home teams I don't I don't have the exact numbers in front of me where like home teams are went from winning seventy percent of the time to like, you know, only seventy or sixty eight percent of the time. It's still a pretty significant drop, but there is showing that there is still a home field advantage, yeah. I think a massive, you know, kind of elephant in the room that we haven't addressed is who's playing for Clemson when you look at Players opting out. And I know we're yeah. going to talk about that when we talk about what happened to Virginia Tech. But, yeah, if I, I think Clemson – and it'll be interesting to see because there has been this kind of go back and forth between Alabama and Clemson where you lose out and then you come back and you're super motivated, right? Clemson loses last year at LSU. Is that enough to keep that drive where – even with all the distractions, not playing in front of people, they're just so motivated, so focused that they want to come back and show everybody, you know, that they're they're They should be the national champion. Um, there's a part of me that says that clearly they're still, even if they do have players depart, I still think they'll have the best roster in the ACC. And I'm with Barton. I think I'd probably pick Notre Dame and Clemson there. Um, and I would, I would take Clemson because I do think, you know, you were saying, because when I said, I, hey, do we have to even talk about anybody besides Clemson? You guys all jumped in and said, are, do you think they're going 10 and 0? They don't have to go 10 no. and 0, right? You know, I mean, they could they could be 9 and 1. They could possibly be even 8 and 2 and be in a tie for first place. It's just, you know, the ACC, we don't know if anybody else is going to be even close to that good. I hope they are, but you just don't know. Yeah, I, I have a. I'm very skeptical that we're if we have like a playoff or an actual national champion this year. I'm very skeptical that we're going to have an undefeated national champion this year, or like last year or the year before, where we see three undefeated teams reach the playoff. I think there's very low odds of that happening. I've got Clemson going ten and zero. I've got the North Carolina Tar Heels going eight Nine and two. And <laughs> I've got the Louisville Cardinals, who I think are the big winner here. Louisville going eight and two. I've got. Why Notre- do you think Louisville is such a big winner? 
I, because they avoid uh, Notre Dame. No, they get Notre Dame, I guess, on the road. I've got Notre Dame and Pitt as Louisville's losses, and they avoid Clemson when they would have played them. Yeah, true. That's a big swing. Uh, and then Notre Dame going 7-3. and three. I think Notre Dame's losses are Clemson at North Carolina and at Pitt, and I've got Pitt going 7-3. and three. That's my top five. Clemson, UNC, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Pitt. And why that would be awesome is then we'd have to figure out tiebreakers <laughs> because UNC and Louisville don't play each other. And if they both finish eight and two, I don't know if we go by point differential. I don't know if we go by record against common opponents. I mean, I've seen ACC tiebreakers because of the ACC coastal, they go like nine deep and there's a coin flip at the end of it. So like, I, I want to see in the weirdest year possible us have, uh, have to figure out what some ACC tiebreakers are for second place. But I do think that I think North Carolina got a pretty good draw and the, you know, we are going to be picking games, winners, totals if if we can get them from Vegas but I uh, I mean it's, I think it's one of the best offenses in the conference so if they can get anything out of that that freshman class particularly on defense then uh, I think they could be a little dangerous wait are, did I hear you right are, so you don't have Notre Dame as the as the number two team no I've got them as the fourth place team behind North Carolina and Louisville you know who's like we glossed over it but NC State skipping Clemson and Notre Dame like that is that could be very significant in the coaching carousel like I don't expect a lot of firings this offseason I mean this will be a this will be a total like void of of what we're used to in terms of the coaching carousel but Dave Doran is 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 one of the guys that would have a shot at getting at getting let go and that's two losses that's two losses that are like no doubt losses to me that are off the schedule that everyone else has at least one of. And, you know, two losses could be the difference in keeping your job and, and losing it. So, you know, that's, I don't know, it's going to impact the standings too much, but uh, it does impact, I think, uh, that, that job for sure. My general hot seat feeling is coaches are not going to have wins or losses that get themselves fired, but in the stresses of the moment, if there are coaches that, put their foot in their mouth, say the wrong thing to the media, and, or misrepresent the fine university, <laughs> they could end up getting themselves fired. Or use a turnover backpack. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of different ways you can get fired. I, I did. I talked to, um, I was talking to a, uh, a coaching agent and, uh, and we were talking about, you know, how we, how this is probably going to be a really um, sparse year for, um, coaching firings, but one thing he did mention, which is I think is a good good point, is if you do have sort of the stones to pay the buyout in this landscape and and make a move despite all that's going on, like you might have just sort of this unopposed shot at like whatever coach you want in the country because there's not going to be in the competition out there for you to to hire against, and so. I think there's a little bit of a gamble there that ADs could play with uh, with sort of making a move. We'll see. Coming up on the other side, we have had a, a few names have already come out in college football deciding to opt out of the 2020 season, including one very significant one, and it's from the ACC. We'll get into that and more next 
the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley, a first or second round NFL draft talent, a potential All-American candidate, uh, a player who you know came in to Virginia Tech, got hurt early in his career, and really came on strong uh, last season, living up to... and. The, Barton played a little offense, right? Coming out of high school, you know, was was sort of a athletic talent. He settled himself into the the cornerback role, and I and think he might have even been a receiver as when he when he showed up on campus, and then they they switched, they switched him TV. over. Yeah. yeah, so this has been a very late development for him to be, to be considered one of the best defensive backs in the NFL draft class. He has decided to opt out of. Um, the, the 2020 season, the announcement was very emotional. I mean, you could tell that this was something that he had thought about a lot. This is a very tough decision for him. A big loss for Virginia Tech, but uh, to me, not a surprise, especially as the trend continues at the NFL level with players opting out. There is not the financial incentive for the college players, though I guess you could argue the risk um, of going through the season and your potential future earnings for NFL draft players. Do we think that this is going to be something that is uh, more common maybe on a like percentile basis than the NFL? Or how do you see this uh, continuing to trickle if it becomes a trend of sorts in college football? I mean, I think that, I think the first, uh, the first guy is huge. I mean that, I mean, someone's done it now and I would imagine, I can't remember if I said it on here or not, uh, but like we talked about we, the spring, the spring, yeah. right? And and how like I talked to, I reached out to one uh, projected first rounder's dad, and was like, would he play in the spring? Hell no! And, and it was like hell, hell no! <laughs> like get out of here! <laughs> what kind of question is that? Um, and but I, I don't think it was ever even questioned about playing in the fall, and you know like I, it's been. It's been discussed before. I guess Jadavian Clowney was one that, that everyone was like, why would you even play? People Fournette. say it was uh, Fournette, yeah. Fournette. Um, You know, they've talked about it with the quarterbacks. It's a little bit of a different deal because those guys are just such a – like the whole team, you know, is, is, is revolves around those quarterbacks. Um, but if it's normalized, if suddenly, like, no, you're not going to catch criticism for – taken the season off and it's 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 going to be a respectable decision uh i hadn't thought that that was going to be a realistic possibility until now it's happened and to, and now i could very easily see particularly an underclassman that that couldn't leave last year um i, I could very easily see them that that start to 
the, the floodgates start to open a little bit. Floodgates may be too strong of a phrasing, but uh, I don't know. It, it certainly feels like Caleb Farley won't be the last. Yeah, I, I think it's going to depend, too, on, like, your actual draft stock. Like, Caleb Farley, like you mentioned, Chip, he's projected to be, like, a first or second round pick. I, I In my early mock, I had him going 22nd overall. And I think that for those guys who are projected to be first or second day picks, they're probably going to be more likely to say, hey, I don't really need to play this year and I could still get, you know, I could still be drafted. I think if you're looking at the guys that are probably third and later, maybe they're not going to be as incentivized because they're going to feel like they still have something to prove and they can maybe improve their draft stock, especially if other bigger names are sitting out. If I'm a guy that's right now a fifth-round pick, I might look at that and say, well, hey, if I play this season, I might be able to improve my stock and become like a third, second, or first-round pick. So I don't think Farley's going to be the last. I do think he's a big loss for Virginia Tech because, you know, looking at advanced stats, this is a guy who last year, they can, among among corners with 25 targets last season, he had a completion rate against of 25%. That was the best in the country. He had an adjusted catch rate allowed of 52.2%. That was the best in the country. And the QB rating against him when quarterbacks threw at him last year was 17.2, which was the best in the country. He had a fantastic season. So it's a huge loss for Virginia Tech, but I completely understand why he's doing it. Full transparency. This probably is going to put me in a really good light, but I want to be vulnerable with you guys as I'm the new guy please, on the podcast. Please. When I saw Caleb Farley's video, the first, and this is before it got like three seconds in, I said, uh oh, this is going to become the new signing day. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to do it publicly. You know, I'm going to pull out my NFL gear, whatever it is, and I'm opting out. You know, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. It's like one of those type of moments. But as Chip alluded to, in it was not that. It was anything but that. But I do think the first is a big step. And the more guys that do it, there look there are we already live in a in a place where college players that if they're good enough to go to the NFL, everybody's like, why are you playing? You've already done enough. Why don't you just go to the NFL? And I don't think some people who have that point of view realize like how important college football is to a lot of players. But to some, it's not. Like my ultimate goal, I didn't go to Florida State to be in the NFL. I went to try to be a really good quarterback, and I wanted to win. I wanted to try to win a championship. Um, I don't think that's the goal. I think you talk to any high school. Barton probably knows this more than anybody. What's your goal? I want to go to the NFL. It's never or very seldomly it's, well, I want to go win a championship. I want to do this. The other thing I did when I, I wanted to play in front of a crowd, like I love the atmosphere. If you're not playing for a championship or playing an atmosphere mm-hmm. – well, all right. Well, what are you doing? So I, I, and the other thing about draft projections, I'd be, because re- I think a lot of guys get first and second round projections. Because I mean, how many guys do we see that we come into their junior year or their draft eligible year, they're projected really high and then they have bad years. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what happened? And they, they feel disgruntled. They get, they, they're upset. Well, you know, man, and then they're, then they kind of feed that narrative. Well, I shouldn't, I got screwed over. I should have gone when I could have. If I was if, and if I was an agent or if I was advising somebody, I'd probably say if you've done enough on tape to become an NFL first or second round pick, then probably by all means go ahead. Because a lot of times, if you're, I mean, what if you're the next Matt Barkley? You know, mm-hmm. who goes out there? But, but on the on the opposite side, I'm trying to look at the optimistic side and the positive side and say, well, that presents a massive opportunity for a lot of guys who you know who's Caleb Farley's backup or mm-hmm. who is this player's backup that could go ball out in his draft eligible year, maybe even jump that guy. So I think there's, there is some risk in leaving early that somebody else could be out there 
possibly moving right over you. But I don't think that's going to be a mindset that many guys are going to have. Yeah, I think you alluded to something, too, that I feel like college football and college basketball even, too, I feel like are better positioned to withstand this kind of thing. Because if you look at the NFL, a lot of players have started, you know, there's been a slurry of players opting out there recently, too. I feel like at the college level, even when your best players opt out, we see that every single year anyway. When a guy leaves and then you're like, oh, my God, how are they going to replace that kid? And then the next kid steps up. So, like, if we looked at Clemson and Trevor Lawrence opts out, it's not like they're barren behind him. They've got another five star ready to go in. So I feel like in a way, while it would, you know, you still want to see all these guys play. I don't think it would hurt the game or the sport that much in 2020 if these guys do leave, because like Danny was saying, there's a guy that's behind him who's probably going to be pretty good, too. And it's we see that a lot every single year when guys graduate and new guys step in and new superstars show up and new names are learned and then they move on. And it's the process that happens. It's just we might be seeing that process sped up a little bit for some guys this year. You might see the same players like uh, uh, the same play. When I say players, I mean, Bama, Clemson, Mm -hmm. Ohio State. But I also think there's a possibility that in I think college this could be really exciting is that maybe it brings some level of parity to college football where, you know, an Alabama Clemson may not be as dominant if they have five or six players that they were counting on that year. They're forced to play younger players who didn't have an entire spring that didn't have an entire preseason that don't have much experience that could present some opportunity for a team that, you know, maybe has guys that aren't NFL draft picks, but they've been there kind of the basketball model, like the teams like a Virginia, it keeps guys around and they build up and they've got a lot of veterans and they can beat the younger, more talented team. I think that could be another win for college football fans. If there is an exodus of really good players, they're probably going to be from those programs. So it's going to open up some opportunities for teams to, to fill that void. Yeah, because like look at Alabama last year with Dylan Moses, and it's like yes, they've got a ton of talent, but when Dylan Moses unexpectedly gets lost for the year because of an injury, that was something that they had to deal with all season long. I'm not going to bet on Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State players opting out before the season. I would think that uh, I could be wrong. I could be very wrong about that. And maybe it becomes something where you get shut down or if the season gets shut down a little bit early, you know, they decide, hey, I'm not going to wait for the restart or whatever ends up happening. But I don't know, just like like Trevor Lawrence, for example, Trevor Lawrence was 25 and 0 as a starting quarterback before finally taking his first loss and having his worst performance of his college career in the national championship game not putting money on Trevor Lawrence uh, to hang it up. Travis Etienne could have gone. Okay, go ahead, Barton. Well, I just want to say, like, agreed. I think Trevor Lawrence probably is like, man, you can't keep me from the field. Like, you can't, like, like you're going to have to chain me to a fence for me to not get out there and play and try to run it back after last year. But what do you think Trevor Lawrence's dad is saying? Like, what do you think his mom is saying? What do you think whoever the important people around him are telling him? Like they're probably his new like, fiance. His new fiance. <laughs> Who know? somehow was caught off guard wandering around Death Valley <laughs> while Trevor Lawrence has a suit on. <laughs> but wouldn't it like so but here's my pushback to that is if I'm Trevor or if I'm if I'm the real staunch, like, hey, you gotta stay in college, you gotta stay and be a part of the team. What's the worst case scenario? Trevor Lawrence, I mean, we just saw it with Tua, right? He had a 
career-threatening injury that's about as bad as you can get in college football. And he still got drafted, you know, in what, third pick overall? Fifth pick, yeah. Whatever, yeah, whatever pick he was uh, for the Dolphins. Like, he still achieved his goal. So, like, is it injury risk? And I know it sucks, and you don't ever want to say that, but if if the advice is, well, you're about to be a millionaire, you're going to be a millionaire either way. You know, like, unless you – even if he lays an egg this season and they're eight and four or something, they, nobody – or whatever the new record is, uh, six and four, whatever, yeah. you know, the, the new schedule – I still think he's done enough and he's shown enough potential that they would be there. I think a lot of it's going to be with just individual mindset. Some guys love it. They want to have one last hurrah. I think some of it, I think some of that has to do with Clemson, the environment that Dabo has created family first and team. And you don't want to feel like you're bailing on your guys. And I think some teams that really recruit on, Hey, we're going to get you to the NFL. And if that's the main mentality that, they get the four and five stars is to give them a chance for the NFL. That might be a mindset that they have. So they're more likely to say, I've got it now. I'm, I'm going. I bet Justin Fields wants to get back out on the field. He doesn't want his last pass to be an interception in the uh, college football playoff semifinals. Yeah. But I mean, he, yeah, we'll see. But he, he had a, he had a damn near perfect season last yeah. year until that throw. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure he wants to get out on the field. But that is also a guy like we've seen. It's almost uh, I feel like we've had an example of that and I'm blanking on who it would have been. But, oh, it was Cardell Jones. Like, remember Cardell Jones? Like, this is a different deal because Cardell Jones is literally like a four game sample size. But Justin Fields is a one season sample size. And it was a perfect season. Like, how much better could Justin Fields play this year than last year? Um, and so if you're looking at it from purely like a business perspective, I mean, he's a top three pick this year right now there he's, you know, I guess he could get to one, but there's a one and three, you know, is, is negligible. Whereas if he, if he actually sort of has some issues this year and he, and he trends down and we're like, well, maybe that one year was just the, the, the exception. I don't know. Like there, there is downside to Justin Fields playing. Before we get out of here, a little bit of scheduling scheduling news coming out of uh, the Chicago Tribune. The Big Ten football schedule is expected to be out next week and maybe even Friday at the earliest. Uh, the few details that the report includes is that uh, September 5th would be the start date, which is the week one as it was previously scheduled. There would be three to five open dates. And so that's going even further than the ACC has in terms of leaving time if there needs to be quarantine, leaving time if games need to be rescheduled. And there are either a nine or 10 game schedule Schedule. The most likely plan, according to the report, is a 10-game schedule. And here's where it gets interesting. Front-loaded with division games. So, as we're thinking, we looked at the ACC, we thought about the draw. Normally, it's a nine-game schedule for the Big Ten, so that would be adding one game instead of two games for what the ACC added to it. Do you What, what are the expectations from what we might see in terms of uh, you know, are they? Do we want them to keep those divisions instead of scrapping them like the ACC has? And is it going to be a football season if we get Ohio State and Michigan in early October? See, that was that was my takeaway. There was some in our in our text thread before we started the show. There was some excitement about the idea of Ohio State Michigan playing, and my takeaway was, oh, they're they're keeping the divisions. Why? Because <laughs> it's so pointless to keep them in a season like this. Just throw all fourteen teams in one division. They all play 10 games, and your top two teams play in the conference championship. So that way, 
okay, sure, then you can front load Michigan and Ohio State, and then maybe if we get a rematch between them at the end of the year, it's not in back-to-back weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, um, I think it's it, it's smart to I, – I mean, the idea, I guess, in front-loading the schedule with the division games is You get them done, right? Oh, right, yeah. like you – well, I think – well, I was thinking more in the sense of, like, get the games in that that are – the bus you know, games. Yeah. The, I mean, like if you don't, yes, I, I think the idea is the season is going to start. Is the season going to finish? Like, I think that's probably what a lot of people are, are thinking is we're, we're going to have a season to begin. I don't know if we're going to have a season that ends. And so get the games in that are most, that are most a manageable, like most accessible. And if, they, if you, if we're still cooking by, uh, you know, by November, then sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't Nebraska know. Nebraska Rutgers can actually right, happen. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, thank God. Yeah, that's if I know so, anything about Big Ten, so fans, far back on the priority. It depends on Nebraska and Rutgers getting to play. <laughs> Isn't it just so college football that we're talking about two conferences that just made scheduling decisions? I know the Big Ten went non conference uh, a while back but they can't do the same thing. Like everybody has to do their own thing, which just throws a wrench into the whole conversation. Like it just, it's so it's just college football in a nutshell that they can't do the same thing. I think the biggest takeaway for me, I, you know, I don't think the divisions are as big. Like when you look at the ACC, I'm like, thank goodness. You don't have to see Clemson playing against a crappy coastal team. This one, you know, the East is clearly stronger than the West, but I think it's, it's gotten a little bit better. It's a little bit more competitive. So I don't think it's as glaring a difference. But I do think with the, like, I think the scheduling of this one by having those three to five bye weeks in between, I think is probably one of the smartest things you can do because it leaves open a bunch of different options. You know, one, if it's just, if everything goes off without a hitch, you at least get guys healthy in between. If there is, uh, if there is some side of uh, sort of outbreak, you could shut the season down for multiple weeks. I, I just think it's, I think it's a smart move by the Big Ten to see that and say, all right, we're going to have some some space in there to buy us some time if we need it. I'm really fascinated in what it's going to look like with this this um, flexible scheduling uh, in terms of like the week by week. Like, do you go out and you're Michigan and you play uh, Michigan State and, you know, you, you bang around, have a good game, you win, wake up Sunday morning for your team meetings and coaches like announce like okay guys like you got a break next weekend like it's a bye and and it was like oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. like a bowl yeah, announcement out for the later. party oh, yeah. or, or you gotta watch out for the party in that, yeah. for that one or, or exactly or you thought you had a bye and coaches show up on the monday meetings and they're and they're popping in ohio state film and they're like hey guys like bad news like you gotta get your mind right we gotta play in five mm-hmm. days like I, I just think that's so like there's no reason it can't happen like that. It's the idea that you have to have this, you know, your schedule mapped out two years in advance. And I mean, I'm sure like think about Notre Dame, who's been doing some game planning all summer for Navy and, and whoever else they're playing. And now they got to just they got to scramble and get scheduled for an entire uh, ACC schedule. Um, there's no reason that can't happen. And I'm fine with it all. I just think it's a it's a it's a wrench in the plans of everything that is is really fascinating do we know with like the acc is going to have the two buys and the big 10 the report says three or five 
Are we going to see every school in each conference taking buys the same weeks where like literally it's like the ACC is just taking this weekend off? Because I don't see how you could do it where teams have different buys if the purpose of the buy is not only to give the players a rest, but as an emergency in case a game needs to be rescheduled. Because then you need both of those teams to have the same bye week. So I feel like the most logical thing is we're going to see like conferences just, okay, we're off this weekend. It's more likely that we are finding out the opponent of the week on a schedule release show every Sunday than it is the conference is going to take an entire week off. And I think that's because of television inventory. Yeah, like that's it's just, what it's, there's no way that the ACC network's like, all right, we're just going to run back week four this week. We got no teams playing. Like It's it's lacrosse <laughs> weekend on the ACC network. Yeah. But you know how hard it is to do that? Like, And I know Major League Baseball's doing that, right? They're like, oh, well, you were supposed to go to Philly. We're just going to reroute you and go over to New York. And, you know, like, <laughs> that is so hard in football. And yet, I think that's a scenario that you have to be at least putting on the table Yes. that you might have to switch up a little bit and you might have to play somebody that maybe you have to swap out an opponent. Like those things might have to happen. And I was, you know, Barton was talking about, you know, the players and what if you get a bye week I can imagine the coaches, like they already, they're such a grind. They're scheduling, they're game planning. They, you know, they have full, you know, staff members dedicated to getting scouting reports ready for the next opponent before you play them. They're scrapping that in a you know in a, in a in a what could be a 24-hour period and trying to prepare for another one. It's all nuts, and you know hopefully it goes off without a hitch. But I think that's the type of scenario that college, every conference has to be prepared for. All right, dis- disclaimer, like obvious disclaimer, necessary disclaimer that safety of the players is very important. Oh, here we go. And I <laughs> like this. All right, I can't wait to double, see Well, you're not going double headers, are you? Yeah, <laughs> surgeon's no. general warning. <laughs> I'm just like, this is, could be an awesome year. Like all this stuff could make college football just bananas and so interesting and fun. And you know what? Yes, I hope we go back to normal and – there isn't all this chaos to deal with, and I hope everyone is safe, and I hope everyone handles this responsibly, but this season could be awesome if it actually plays out. Schedule release emergency podcasts every single Sunday. <laughs> rolling shows, boy. Yeah, just, <laughs> just rolling announcements. Find it here on the Cover 3 podcast. I, it, you... Barton, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and that's this is sort of in line with that. Like, let's if you throw out all expectations and just say if everything can be done safely, who cares if it's our heads spinning week to week and yes. teams getting rerouted and coaches? Heaven forbid the well-paid coaches are going to have to be stressed just a little bit more to like game plan a little bit. I mean, this is it's it's different, man. It's different. And silver lining. If our locks record sucks, you could say, hey, what did you expect? There's a pandemic going on. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, He is Barton Simmons. He is Danny Cannell. He is Tom Fennell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons, at Danny Cannell, at Tom Fennell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.